Hello listeners, I'm your host James Tachy. Welcome to You Are Not Alone, a show that explores the fact that despite one's genetics, country of origin, socioeconomic background, culture, tradition, and all the many labels we tend to use to describe our condition and conditioning, we have more that brings us together than separates us. The stories shared here are expressions of this experience, the hope that it inspires you, motivates, and helps you feel more connected to people near and far. In this episode, Alicia, a nurse by occupation, the wife of a U.S. Army veteran, shares some of the challenges their family faces since her husband's return from military service in Afghanistan. Alicia discusses how her role changed from wife to caregiver. She highlights the complexities of navigating the VA healthcare system and the importance of being a firm, informed advocate. Furthermore, she talks about the effects of her husband's mental health condition on their children and what they all do to cope. This is her story. My husband suffers from PTSD and a traumatic brain injury that he received in the war. Stationed in Afghanistan, he was a truck driver, Army Reserve. He came home one day and was like, I want to join the National Guard. I think he was like 31. Before that, he worked for Stanley Tools. He worked full-time, and then he did the National Guard. He was in the Guard for probably about a year and a half before he deployed. He had to operate a fuel point, and while operating the fuel point, he would fuel up trucks that came in. In this one particular instance, there was a backlash from the fuel being injected. It kicked back, smacked him in the head, and continued to dispense the fuel. He smacked his head against the wall, smacked his head on the ground, and then ingested the fuel. He was out for a while. They they found him ingesting fuel. Nobody knows how long he was out for. That's what we know. I do know that there was an explosion, some belief of that during that explosion at some point, somehow he hit his head as well. He again was put right back to work the next day. Before he left, he was very interested in family. We did lots of family games. We played around, laughed, we joked. Not overly social, but he was social. If a bunch of my girlfriends were at the house, he'd hang out there, he'd go out with friends. When he came back, that was, I think, the first thing that we noticed that changed. He wasn't as social. Didn't want anything to do with his friends. Didn't want anything to do with my friends. Big crowds, big family parties. We have lots of family parties. So he left in November of 2008 and came back in January of 2010. And then when he came back, he was different. Less social, very angry, easy to anger. Not as funny, depression. Looking back, I think there are a lot of little things that I can now identify were problems, whereas seeing them at the moment, I didn't identify them that way. I just figured it was part of the transition of coming back. He would go off to the store, which he was obviously, you know, going to the store, something that you've done for a very long time. He'd go off to the store, and then he'd have a list of things to buy, and then he'd come back, and he'd have nothing with him. Instead of saying, I couldn't find my way, he'd get really angry and just be like, well, I didn't feel like going. Or I decided I didn't want to go. And he came up with a bunch of different excuses. They were quite clever. (laughs) That made him sound quite lazy versus having a problem or admitting to the fact that he couldn't get to the store less than two miles away. As we went along, there were lots of little neurological things that I noticed. Hand movements that were just off, dropping things. Depression was pretty quick to pick up on because he wouldn't leave his bed. Didn't want to shower, didn't want to get up, didn't want to move, didn't want to eat. So those were obvious signs, and then there were some smaller ones, like not making it to the store. Well, I mean, pretty obvious now. There were a lot of fights and arguments between us at that point. There was actually even a separation. 
There was a lot of anger on his part when he came back all of a sudden from having this person that wasn't necessarily, I wouldn't say gentle. He was easier going, not as quick to anger. Then all of a sudden I'd have holes in my wall. When he first came back, he suffered from migraines. He still does suffer from migraines. It's typical of a TBI. So he, he didn't have the diagnosis when he first came back because nobody really knew. We had this problem where he had a significant headache. He was shaking and trembling. So the VA has an emergency room in West Haven. We drove all the way from Marlboro to West Haven, which is a very long way to drive in order to get somebody at the hospital. The second that we got in there, he was seen by the emergency room staff. And within five minutes of the emergency room doctor seeing him, she said that she felt like he was med-seeking. This is somebody that could never touch drugs before in his life, never smoked pot, doesn't really drink or anything like that. A lot of guys, when they come home, they do look for drugs and alcohol. And so that's one of the things that we kept encountering over and over again was that whenever he was in pain or asking for help, people would just assume that he naturally wanted some type of drug. It took a long time. It's a fight with the VA, a Neil clawing constant fight with him. We got him the right doctors eventually, doctors that didn't understand him or couldn't understand I wouldn't allow them to see him anymore, and we would switch out doctors. We got him diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury, which explained the migraines, which then explained the other pains that he was having as well. And we confronted the fact that he didn't want pain medication. He actually wouldn't take it. So that in itself kind of spoke for a lot of it. When we would just say to the doctors, look, he's not here for pain medication. Don't attempt to prescribe it. It was just finding the right team and constantly having to search for doctors. It took probably... I would say a good two and a half years before we had the right team put together in the VA system. Probably over two years. Constantly combating. I don't think you should ever approach any situation without being nice first. But you can't be somebody that just says, okay, yeah, I'll go with that. You have to be somebody that has already, one, done your research, and two, knows what you want and is not afraid to say that, no, that's not how we're going to do this. We're going to try this instead. Or, no, that's not how you're going to speak to him. Or, no, you're not going to just address me. You need to talk to him because he's in the room. A lot of times, if he went by himself, he would say, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll take that medication. And then he'd come home and throw it to the side. He's never going to take it. So if I couldn't make the appointment for some reason, and he went by himself or with somebody else, I'd have to prep whatever nurse or whatever doctor. You know, don't just assume when he says yes to you, it's not to say yes to you. It's to get you to leave him alone so that he can get out of the appointment. He wants the help, but he doesn't know how to go further. And so having to kind of explain that to other people prior, if I couldn't be there, or explaining it while I was there, yeah, he might be shaking his head like, yeah, this is all great and good and smiling at you, but when we leave here, this is a different story. There's just a lot of trying to to pick the right paths and the right people, and not necessarily that you have to go in there ready to punch somebody's lights up. But you do have to go in there ready to say, this is what I want, and be okay with arguing with somebody. I think a lot of guys coming home, they don't look for the support right away. You have so many different programs out there. There's um, yellow ribbon ceremonies that try and like drill it into your head, you know, get the support right away, and you still just tend to try and handle it all on your own. His team consists of psychiatrists, therapists, he's done horse therapy. We sent him to a specialized PTSD for vet program. It's an inpatient program where you're only supposed to do a six-week stunt, but they invited him back for another six weeks. So he actually did 12 weeks there. And he has a whole team within another team for the TBI part of it. 
He may go down to Florida to do an inpatient there as well for the TBI piece of it. He is right now taking advantage of a program that he was hooked up with that is going to teach him how to farm, and then he'll go get this business end piece of it, and he may farm. We've started different programs like that before, and sometimes there's a lack of concentration with this TBI that part of it can falter and he'll become very frustrated or an understanding piece of it. Things are harder. Memory is difficult. A lot of that can become very frustrating for him. So he goes off and he farms while I'm at work, which keeps him out of trouble. We do family therapy. The kids have individual therapists. As far as myself, no. My reasoning behind that has always been just that I don't have the time (laughs) between trying to make sure everybody else gets where they've got to get. We have five kids all together. I don't know if I cope well, even still. Initially, I think I became angry because I was still in a wife mode, and my roles changed as our relationship developed. I became more of his caregiver and, like, mother and his wife. What I found is that I do better when I'm meditating and exercising regularly, eating better. So when I'm taking care of myself, I do better with handling him and coping with him and coping with the stress that comes with it. It's an ever-changing relationship. We're constantly discovering more. I had to really readjust my thought process as to this is the same person, but a completely different person than what I knew before he left. I think initially for all of us, there was a little bit of shame. And I don't know where that came from, but there was this fear of it affecting the family, affecting the kids, because we have so many kids and the kids are young. And there's this element potential violence that floats through the air in our household. And even still, like, everybody understands that there's these triggers that could easily send somebody into, like, this nastiness. Because of that, we were very quiet about it, whereas now I've learned to speak more about it. So I would tell people just to be honest about it, especially when it's a household that have children. Be honest with the schools, the counselors. I think the more that people know what's going on, you have more eyes on your children, you have more people watching to make sure everybody's okay. And the same thing with outside support. When I cope with things, I tend to push people away and turn inward towards myself. So initially, I wouldn't even speak to my friends about it or people that were close to me. I think my mother knew, my father knew, and my brother, because they're they're all military. So that was easier to kind of explain it to them versus just my quote-unquote regular friends. So there was this initial reaction to push people away versus letting them know and not having that initial support. My kids are very independent. I was a single mom, and then like we were also a military family, so you've got to be able to pick up after themselves. My kids all know how to cook. Even the three-year-old will jump up there and try and help me cook. They all have chores, so chores have to be done by the time I get home. My 14-year-old starts the prep for dinner, then I come home. We complete dinner, we clean up together. Right now, because it's warm, we go down to the lake, probably paddleboard or kayak. My husband will join us. That's a new thing. Before, to get him to go down to the lake, it wasn't something he ever wanted to do because of the amount of families that were there. We still go in the evening, so there's not that many there, so I think that that's an easier thing, but he'll even go uh, busy during the day or Saturday, Sunday, or there's supposed to be fireworks at the lake today, and he'll actually go and do that, whereas before, he never did fireworks. He still doesn't do the homemade fireworks, like the big M80s that can set him off, but he'll go and look at, like, the fireworks in the sky. There's been a lot of growth, I think. We're not stuck where we were. 
say live and breathe for my children to give them that semi-regular life. I mean, it'll never be perfect because I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect, you know, happy home, but it won't be like that, like two kids, a dog, and a, you know, <laughs> picket fence. They're my motivation. They're the reason I do come to work. They're the reason why that we do keep the family together. Because most military families, they're not together anymore. So, that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of You're Not Alone. Your positive feedback is appreciated, so please like, comment, and share. To keep up with coming episodes, please follow us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Stay tuned for more to come.